Welcome to Where the Lotus Grows, Getting Dirty and Growing Strong with Kimberly Searle and Tanya Drew. As integrative sustainable movement educators and health advocates, our goal is to provide you with evidence-based information gathered from research, experts in the field, and our personal and professional experience to help you advocate for your own health and wellness. Our mission is to collaboratively navigate the thick, muddy waters of life to empower, accept, and cultivate our most authentic selves. Welcome to Where the Lotus Grows. Today's episode is going to be a little different up until this point. All of our episodes have followed the Panchamaya Kosha model, where we've talked about the different layers of the body, or our content has had something to do with different layers uh, within the body. And today we just wanted to talk about something fun And we wanted to remind our audience, that's what we do. Yes, we come from a yoga therapy and a movement education background. So we have a lot of things to say about health and education. But we also like to talk about stuff that's just, you know, out there in the zeitgeist. A little common kind of our life perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Tanya and I were talking about, these are conversations that we would have over lunch or we'd have in downtime. So, it, you know, are we the expert? Maybe not, but these are our opinions, our perspectives based on our journey. Yeah. And we're just kind of sharing what we've learned and sharing about some things that we like to talk about. Today, we're going to talk about empowerment versus entitlement, AKA on this, uh, future generations as kids these days, because everybody's talking about the millennials. <laughs> and I am just old enough to not be a millennial, <laughs> barely by like six months. And Kim's in the same category of the, the other, the not a millennial. Not a millennial. Like, <laughs> we don't know if we proudly embrace Gen X either, <laughs> but we know we're not millennials. Uh, that said, it's all joking. We love the millennials and those are the people that we um, work with the most and kind of are a part of our community and our society. Not that we don't get a lot of baby boomers and Gen Xers too, but um, it's just something that you hear and see in pop culture right now. So as we're talking about that, I was thinking about our future generations. So I'm currently expecting a child. I have a six, almost seven-year-old son, and I have a 19-year-old stepdaughter who just became a mom herself, which is also exciting. So I guess that makes me a grandparent, even if I refuse to accept it. It does, and I'm happy, really. But really talking about choosing this topic because it draws from my own experience The climate, the current stereotypes of my own generation, the millennial generation, I think the next one's up or the Gen Zers, changes in schools of thought when it comes to psychology, child psychology, and trying to be a conscious and intentional parent. So ultimately, it really comes down to me trying to be a conscious and intentional parent. But I think even with Kim, you see this in the young people around you too. You know, Mm -hmm. you have a niece that you're very close to Mm -hmm. and 
kind of the same thing. There's a conscious and intentional thing that you want to do. We want to raise our kids to be empowered and not necessarily entitled. And how did we get to that place where it's like, oh, kids these days are so entitled? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just part of, you know, realizing all of a sudden that you're of a different generation and the children coming up below you have a different outlook on life. They have a different perspective. Sure. And can you hold space for both? You know, but I find myself saying, you know, I almost am like, get off my lawn, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, how did I become that person? But then, you know, I looked, I've, I've been out of high school now over 30 years. And so, you know, yeah. things are shifting. The world's changing. When you can say, well, when I was that age, you know, yeah. <laughs> when I was your age, I had this, this, and this. And then you're like, oh my goodness, I sound just like my parents did when they yeah. were telling me about... Additionally, I've had the unique opportunity of raising kids generations apart. So like I said, my stepdaughter is an adult now, but she lived with us, her father and I full time from the time she was six until she, you know, was almost an adult. So it's kind of like having that perspective, how I did things, how I parented in my 20s and early 30s versus with my son and with my daughter on the way, my idea of parenting now that I'm a little older, maybe a little wiser, I'd like to think maybe a little wiser, definitely 100% more conscious about parenting than I was when I was younger and more aware. So additionally, only having partial control when it's a stepchild situation because somebody else also has the parenting time. And also had some input on the development of that person's personality and self-esteem. All that stuff was set prior to my, any of my uh, parenting intervention. So even when, even though I was very conscious when I was in my late 20s of how I wanted to parent, certain things were kind of beyond my control. And let's face it, kids have their own personalities. Mm -hmm. We We don't have as much control over them as we'd like to think. But I was able to learn from her and be more conscious with how we raise our son. And then I've been able to further take from the last six, seven years with him and think about how I want to do things differently with my daughter. So starting out, let's talk about some millennial stereotypes, because like I said, they're in pop culture. They're They're the ones being talked about the most. So entitled is what we hear the most of. Unable to connect with people IRL in real life. So they're the generation that has had the internet their whole life. They've had social media pretty much their whole life. And so we've heard that there's complaints that I I don't personally see this. I think um, all the, the cool millennials I know don't really have trouble being social person to person. But I I hear that that's a complaint. And finally, that they lack compassion and empathy, which I kind of also think that um, that stereotype is unfair as well, not just personally because of the ones that I know, but also you see different movements happening politically where I think empathy is definitely there. I think it's the ability to have compassion for others. So do you have any to add? With the millennial stereotypes or anything with that? Well, 
I mean, you come from it from a parenting perspective. And since I'm not a parent, I, I tend to come from it more from a business leadership perspective. Sure. So, um, you know, I was at the leadership summit and uh, someone talked about this and I could feel that this was kind of happening for me, but I wasn't sure, was it them? Was it me? And I had these questions that I was asking myself, like, did I do something to cause it or are they inherently that way? I'd also ask myself things like, I don't think maybe it is the nature of the current generation, but I was assuming and making generalizations. But nonetheless, this was all kind of my thoughts swirling around in my head. And when I don't understand something, I tend to um, look at the definition of it. So entitlement is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. And empowerment is the process of becoming stronger and more confident, especially in controlling one's life and claiming one's rights. And I happen to be on the side of empowerment because it sits better with my needs where entitlement kind of hits my triggers because I feel like it comes from the ego. Mm -hmm. And none of us really invents anything, right? We're always, always standing on someone else's shoulders. You know, there's been a couple of times where I'm like, I've just invented this new, you know, sensation in the body and a way to get to it. And I go to a conference and I'm like, oh no, I just didn't know it came (laughs) from those roots, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So here's an example that I can give between the differences. An empowered person would ask, how can I help you? And an entitled person says, why do I have to help you? And so if you hear those two things, how can I help you? And why do I have to help you? Which one would you prefer to hear? Right. Well, I mean, obviously, the how can I help you versus Mm -hmm. why not? For me, not only from the parent perspective, but having a psychology background, then I'm like, where did this come from? Because like you, we're the old people being like, well, back in my day, we had more (laughs) respect and we did more of this and things were, um, yeah, some of that's good and some of that's bad. So I've heard it attributed, the um, attitude of entitlement attributed to the concept of child psychology in the 60s and really the the need to build and develop self-esteem. And maybe that that was kind of the first time that a child self-esteem was really considered. And in some ways, I see that. I definitely see, like, if you look back throughout history, you know, obviously, if you go further back, kids really didn't get a childhood. So then you get a prolonged childhood. And then you get what does that look like? Um, What is childhood? And I think every generation tried to make childhood a little better based on their own experiences. And in that, Maybe through the 80s and 90s, when this idea of self-esteem had come through the 60s and those parents are raising their kids now, those kids from the 60s who had some concept of childhood self-esteem were then how do I do it better, maybe took it a little too far. Maybe that the praise alone is enough or that everybody gets a trophy, like that kind of thinking I think that a lot of that, you know, you hear that you're, you're like, well, I was spanked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was beat <laughs> and, and it made me a better person. But maybe there's a little bit to that. 
not to child abuse, but to adversity versus the idea of being so soft. Everybody wins. Everybody gets a trophy. Every child is has the parents that are telling them they're the smartest. They're the prettiest. They're the best. They're the greatest. And I have a kid. I want to tell my kid these things. Like it's hard to hold back that because you do want to tell your kid that they're the greatest. Maybe if only because they're little representations of you. Maybe that's like a little ego thing. <laughs> but additionally, fixing or helicoptering, the term helicopter parent has, has come out of this too, which you see. I worked for an apartment community and we used to call the helicopter parents, we used to call them prom moms. <laughs> so the moms that would come in with the college student looking for an apartment and the mom was the one that really took over and the mom was the one that was really... Um, and I mean, it could be either parent, but was the one speaking for their grown adult child, like their kid's 21 years old and ready to go into grad school to become a doctor. And yet, no matter how smart they were, <laughs> their mom was here speaking on their behalf about how, um, what their rent should be or how their, uh, what their view in their apartment should be. And then at the same token, those same kids would be the ones who would call down because they didn't know how to do their laundry. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do think that that's like, um, it comes from that. You want to fix things for kids. You don't want your kids to feel adversity. You don't want them to be bullied. I mean, deep down, you don't, even when you know that a certain level of adversity is good for them. You want to protect, you want to wrap them in the bubble wrap before you send them out the door. But at the same time, is that good? Research suggests that it's better to praise how hard they worked than how smart they are. How many times they tried something and failed and just kept going. Like it's better to reward that resilience than to just reward the or tell them that they're the greatest because when they think that they're smart and then they get something wrong, then they don't want to press themselves any further. Mm -hmm. From someone who doesn't have children, and so I'm just looking from the outside of a school and observing, I wonder, have our schools become the whole village? Because it appears to me that the teachers are overrun, and I'm wondering, is education being lost? Are we losing commitment, connection, conversation? And if we go back to some of the things that you've mentioned, you know, if you were that very strict parent, strictness doesn't make a less entitled child a kinder child. Sure. And also neither does this, you know, I think you mentioned it as a helicopter parent or a prom parent. That doesn't either. And I like how you say letting the child have some freedom to experience discomfort but also to praise the ability to sit with that and to grow outside of their current comfort zone. And maybe that's a better place to really draw some attention to. Sure. So I, I think one of the things that's it's really hard to do as a parent, but it's really important is to allow the struggle. Mm -hmm. Because when you allow the struggle from even when they're... Um, little babies, little pre-toddlers when they're trying to figure out how to fit that little puzzle piece into the the star shape, into the star hole and the, the round peg into the round hole. Allowing for that struggle, I mean, that 
encourages deductive logic. It encourages reasoning skills. It encourages the resilience to continue. Yeah, to develop to that try problem again. solving, that, that critical thinking. No, absolutely. So there's the development of a growth mindset. I mean, that's that's huge. So a couple of things. So being a parent and being a conscious parent, which I think most parents are, but I also think it comes with age, that you put a little more time and effort into how you think about parenting. Well, you had talked about grit and resilience. And so when I was at that same leadership summit, they had us take a grit test. Oh, fun. And um, I scored higher than 80% of American adults. So nice. I was a 4.3 out of 5. So you could see how much grit we had as leaders, right? That was the, the goal of us taking the, sure. the test, which basically meant that we had courage, we had resolve and strength of character. Because sometimes when you're in leadership, it can be really lonely, especially at times when you're you're taking a team into a new adventure or you find yourself in troubled waters because, you know, let's face it, not all of your competitors can swim with you, right? And so sometimes you kind of find yourself out in the middle of that ocean. It also um, helps you take responsibility for your actions. And what that means is that we can take control and perhaps be empowering but also have accountability because I feel accountability can fuel empowerment and empowerment comes from your ability to master autonomy and motivation. Right. And, you know, sometimes when I work with millennials and we've talking about, you know, wanting to wrap people in that bubble wrap, that comfort zone. And when we do that, then there isn't this grit to be able to, Mm -hmm be lonely, to find autonomy, to find that motivation. And and it's not really something that you can teach autonomy. I, I think you can cultivate it in just thinking about that, mm-hmm. like the difference mm-hmm. between teaching and cultivating. I always like to use gardening as the example. So you can cultivate a crop. You don't teach a crop how to grow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you plant the seeds you try to provide as much as you can of the right environment and maybe adjust accordingly if you can water them because you're not getting the water. But for the most part, you're you're cultivating. You're not necessarily teaching because that inherent ability is there. It just has to have kind of the right environment and circumstances for that growth. Mm-hmm. On a side note, when you said that the leadership concert, did, did you – find that many of the people in the conference scored higher? Being that you were all leaders, well, do you know what I mean? Yeah, scored higher than the average? I couldn't see anyone else's scores. Okay, I didn't so know I if it was something yeah. that was discussed. or Yeah, and I know now, now in your PowerPoint presentations, you can do a score like that and it'll show up for everyone that's in the conference because I've been to some of those recently. But at this particular one, no, it was just a moment to go to this link, everybody take it. See and what they it was could only talk- see yeah, yeah, I was just curious, it being a room full of leaders, yeah, where if it is. there were more, you know what I mean, more people in that group than average, yeah. or above average in yeah. score. Well, I think too, as leaders, we want to say, oh, those millennials, and I've been out except of the, corporate the millennial world. leaders. They're, well, I've they're. been out of the corporate <laughs> world for a long time, and 
you know, some of the leaders that I just hear coming in and sharing with me, you know, they're like, oh, I had to go to learn how to, you know, help a millennial not, you know, not make them cry. Right. So mm-hmm. that's, that's showing me that we're the millennials are are driving a different culture, a more compassionate culture. Sure. And they're adamant on that happening, which I think needed to happen. And as a leader, we can learn the older leaders, the seasoned leaders can learn something from the millennial leaders, but the millennial leaders also need the older leaders to mentor them so that they can increase this grit scale. Well, absolutely. And and I think, you know, we're, we're throwing this term around loosely and I hope all of our millennial listeners who identify as such with most of us just roll our eyes. I, I hope that there's the acceptance or the understanding that, um, you know, this is kind of a thing. It's just a really blanket generalized statement. Mm-hmm. We're not looking down our nose at anybody. I think it's important yeah. to be remembered. So we come from Gen X. And so what's what was the Gen X awesome attributes? We were slackers, right? Mm-hmm. We were lazy. We mm-hmm. didn't do nothing. <laughs> we were completely unsupervised and able to do whatever the hell we wanted. And um, that meant that we didn't do anything and we were just lazy. And really it took the boomers before us to, you know, they said that because they worked so hard, right? Mm -hmm. But they were the boomers before them was the greatest generation. So they really had something to live up to. And so when you think about it, that that mentor-mentee through the generations is always there. Mm And I think it is beautiful that um, you almost outgrow those stereotypes of what your generation is as you start to get a little older. I absolutely agree because some of the things that we've brought up about the millennials, you know, like, you know, this versus that, when you really get down into it and you look at the research, a lot of those stereotypical things that we've mentioned are actually myths. Right. Right. And so that goes along with as you age, you need mentors. And then at some point you become the mentor. No, absolutely. And the important part is being open to that cycle, Mm -hmm. which leads me to one of the ways that we can improve our society all the way around. One of the ways that I really feel strongly about being a conscious parent and how I'm parenting is, you know, cultivating compassion and empathy, but really just accepting that all children are, I mean, all of us, every single one of us have gone through that stage in life. We're inherently selfish in the beginning. The developmental stage um, and awareness is initially only about yourself. And so with kids, because that part of the brain isn't developed fully, you know, you, you think about that prefrontal cortex and executive function, they're now saying that that's not completely developed until you're 25. We'll talk about extended adolescence, extended childhood. Really, now we've got until 25 before we're really fully there. And at the same time, you and I have experienced this. And now that we're older, we're like, oh, yeah, I didn't know shit when I was 18. <laughs> So accepting the stages of development, remembering the part of the brain responsible for empathy, compassion is really underdeveloped in kids and even teenagers. So, I mean, selfish behavior is typical, but the way to build empathy, to build the resilience, to build the grit, all of those things is by modeling. So modeling concern, 
an awareness of others. You know, your kid may not really process fully the idea of what's grandma going through unless it's modeled. You know, that you as a parent or you as an aunt or you as a person are, well, what does that other person think? Openly discussing feelings and emotions. I think your own as well as others is important. And just remembering that negative emotions about themselves, like when they're upset, when they're sad, maybe when there was that bully on the bus, it can actually aid in the development of empathy for others. So to listen, and we've talked about active listening a lot on this podcast, to listen without necessarily trying to fix something. So teaching our kids to sit with their emotions Mm-hmm. for longer than two weeks, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but teaching them to sit with their emotional pain and, and to model that yourself mm-hmm. to be like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of upset right now and I need some time and then growth mindset, grit and resilience. Well, you know, I work hard to live an honest, kind and gritty life. And by continuing my growth of myself through self discovery through my habits, my samskaras. I feel while I'm not perfect, I'm striving to live with this intention of being honest, kind, and gritty. So you've been talking about empathy and empathy is about having the sense of others, emotions, coupled with the ability to imagine what the other person may be thinking or feeling. So Mm -hmm. being able to see that flip side of the coin. And Renee Brown had this fun cartoon about the difference between sympathy and, and empathy, but Basically, sympathy is feeling compassion, sorrow, or pity for hardships that the other person encounters, while empathy is putting yourself in their shoes of another person. So the more that you can flex your empathy muscle, considering, um, you know, you can like challenge yourself to undertake maybe a challenging experience, something that pushes you out of your comfort zone to ask for feedback, to examine your own biases and create a sense of curiosity and explore your heart instead of your head. Even asking others for feedback and learning to ask better questions, questions that come from a place of curiosity rather than belief systems. No, absolutely. Being curious is a big part of, I think, honestly, just being a good human being, being curious, being open, and always learning, Mm -hmm. and being open to always learning. Kids these days... (laughs) is a phrase that I heard when I was a kid and it was really frustrating. And now I cringe because sometimes I have that thought. Like I see the kid with a phone in one hand and a fidget spinner in the other. And I think, (laughs) oh, kids these days. But I think also I have tremendous empathy for kids today and all the additional bullshit that they have to navigate in life. You know, there were so many things that we didn't have to deal with. We were the last generation to not have to worry about whether or not somebody had, you know, incriminating photos or video or (laughs) whatever of us in action being a kid that could come back and haunt us or torment us. Like we, we were the last generation to have a little semblance of privacy we could go home from school and whatever was happening at school that day stopped when we got home. 
vice versa, whatever happened when we got when at home kind of stopped when we were at school. And now everything is connected all the time. Expectations are higher to be something that maybe isn't attainable. Mm-hmm. So definitely have empathy for the kids these days. But I think the most important lesson when we use the phrase to compare today's kids with their own childhood is to remember the good and bad and the ugly of the last 20 years and really how it's reshaped childhood itself. And then to just be the change, to model the empathetic behavior we wish to see and to check our own entitlement. Mm -hmm. That's a sense of it too. I think as we age, we can either decide to embrace these new things and it'll continue to keep us young at heart and growing or we can just say I'm not learning that I'm not doing that and we kind of get left back in time put ourselves in a rigid box Mm -hmm. which maybe ages us a little quicker as leaders we can continue to say you know since I'm a gen xer I could continue to say for example you know the millennials but really what we need are each other Millennials need to be mentored by other leaders to learn about grit, being uncomfortable, autonomy, and seasoned leaders need millennials to learn about honoring the place of global culture, interpersonal skills, leadership impact on a broader scale. Yeah, no, I agree. All those skills are, they're important. They're, like I said, cultivated and not learned. Thinking about developing a growth mindset in our children, developing grit and resilience, allowing a little adversity to be there because that's what makes a strong leader. That's what mm-hmm. makes a strong person. Two podcasts, not podcasts, the TED Talks that were really pivotal for me was Angela Duckworth's Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance, and Carol Dweck's The Power of Believing That You Can Improve. So Angela Duckworth is the one that has the grit test. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I think her book is called Grit. Yeah. But really goes into, you know, why we need adversity, why it's important to value, like I said, you know, how hard to to praise a child on how hard they've worked on something versus Mm -hmm. uh, how smart they are. (laughs) Um, All the different pieces that you need those that make strong leaders that make strong people and it helps to build deductive logic additionally i think it's carol dweck's the power of believing you can improve i think it's her ted talk where she talks about iq is not the only thing that separates successful kids from those who struggle but really that idea of um the ability to overcome Mm -hmm. so the different things that a, a kid has to go through to achieve is also a big determiner of their success. I've heard this. I'm listening to this book called Scattered, and there's been a couple um, statistics in there that has really gotten me. They were saying that if we compare our generation to our uh, to the boomers, right, we're working on average 158 hours more per week than the boomers worked. Mm-hmm. If we look at ourselves, even just a year ago, we are taking in so much information. Mm -hmm. We're taking in the information in one day that we used to get in a whole year. Sure. And again, the younger generations can help us learn to how to navigate that because they've grown up in that. Mm -hmm. They don't know any different. And so, you know, it, it goes back to the unity. Oh, absolutely. Growing together, being the change. Mm-hmm. 
and encouraging that in others, encouraging them to be the change. A couple of resources for this episode, uh, TED.com, of course, if you want to look at those TED Talks. There's quite a few, actually, on resilience and grit. But Angela Duckworth and Carol Dweck's are pretty standout. Some books that I have read that talk about these kind of things, The Whole Brain Child and The Yes Brain, How to Cultivate Courage, Curiosity, and Resilience in Your Child. Both of those books are by Daniel Siegel and uh, Tina Payne Bryanson. They're really great books from a parenting perspective on exactly what we were talking about. If you've got some thoughts, some comments, maybe you weren't happy we use the term millennial so loosely, (laughs) and or maybe you've got some stories that you want to share, reach out to us on social media, hit us up on our website. And until next week, we're going to get right back into the koshas, right back into Anamaya kosha, talking about musculoskeletal conditions, hips and the pelvic floor. Keep an eye out for some extra content that should be showing up on our website soon. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Where the Lotus Grows. Join us in further conversations. We believe that you bring valuable knowledge to this community. You can find us at wherethelotusgrows.com where the lotus grows on instagram and facebook or twitter where the lotus g1 because we were not on top of that one remember that though we are professionals in our field the topics discussed and or advice given is general information and not intended to treat or diagnose please seek the guidance of a medical integrative health body work or yoga therapy professional for a full evaluation If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate us on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform.